suntan lotion is good for me. <laughs> Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Happy Amblin. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. Whoopity doo! No, <laughs> no. Uh, this is the show on the Waffle Press podcast uh, where we're doing a retrospective on Steven Spielberg and Adam Sandler, their works. And this is just off the top of my head, but uh, I would really love it if, by the grace of God or the universe, that they ended up making a movie together. I just I, that would be the best way to end this retrospective. Series. I, I won't spoil it, but the the two giants will meet at some point during this retrospective. Yeah, don't. Spoil I won't spoil it, it uh, but yeah, it's it'll be it will be in the episode you least expect. But we're talking about the the works of Adam Sandler for this episode specifically. His first, well, no, second feature film because the first film was Going Overboard. Last week we talked about Steven Spielberg's Duel which was a fantastic film, and now we're here. Well, we should say he had a few other film roles before this. Um, he did Going Overboard, of course, which we covered. He also had a very bit part in the movie Coneheads, which is a fascinating comedy because there are exactly zero jokes in it. It's just the Anacroids being weird and people not acknowledging it. And then he was in another movie. Uh, he played, like, the third lead in a movie called Airheads. Have you ever seen Airheads? I haven't seen Airheads or Coneheads. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like I'm I'm good there. You might be. Airheads actually is kind of funny. Airheads is um, it's him, Brendan Fraser, and Steve Buscemi, and they're like a shitty like hair metal band, I think. And they're not getting any like they're not getting famous, so they get this idea to take a radio station hostage. And force them to play their music. You know what? I love Brendan Fraser and Steve Buscemi. Uh, I'll totally watch that now because I, I, I love, love Brendan Fraser. It has its moments and like, you know, Chris Farley pops up in it in a pretty su substantial role. And uh, Michael Richards is in it. There's a couple people in it. Um, I remember liking it, but I have not seen it since I was like 13. <laughs> so, but I remember enjoying it. But then again, I also remember enjoying... Uh, Billy Madison a lot as a child. And half the other <laughs> yes. like films, at least half the other films of Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, I would say I think I made it up until Click. I think Click was the last Adam Sandler film that I clicked with. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you know what? Here, let's, let's take a look at that really quick before we talk about Billy Madison. Uh, I guess the last one, I remember liking Click, but I wasn't like fully there you know i saw it when it came out like on dvd right around then's where i started falling off afterwards yeah. though do you remember the moment when you like realized he was terrible i no, i don't remember the exact moment like i actually from what i remember looking back i remember the the, the one time i didn't enjoy an adam sandler movie was i saw uh i now pronounce you chuck and larry that was probably the last one okay no that i remember i now. <laughs> didn't see it willingly like even i was like however old I was 
Um, even I saw the trailer for that, and I was like, that looks terrible. No, I remember just not enjoying that movie, but I think it's important to remember that like I was never in love with Adam Sandler movies. Like He wasn't um, popular in my household. Mm-hmm. This isn't even about like my parents' taste. Like This is just me. Like I did not find him like that entertaining i guess i've always i always liked him as a kid and my dad liked him so like i would watch those movies with him they were kind of a thing around here but they, i wouldn't say like like even as a child if you asked me to list like my favorite comedies an adam sandler film wouldn't be among them mm-hmm. uh but i just remember that i now pronounce you chuck and larry was the one where i saw the trailers and i was like that looks terrible and then i i was dragged to it by a friend who like didn't understand why I said I thought the movie was bad, and and then I I do remember when Grown Ups was announced, and I remember thinking to myself, I remember seeing the cast and being like, oh man, all these guys together, that could be a lot of fun, like you know Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, like even Kevin James. So I like Kevin James on King of Queens, but then like I rem- I remember the movie coming out and just getting like savaged by critics, and I was like. All right, I think I'm done. Uh, I just want to say, we'll talk about Kevin James plenty of times on oh, this. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he's ever gotten his due. I, I think he's actually a pretty good like Same. actor. Like Adam Sandler's a, a good comedian, maybe not a great like comedic actor all the time, but he's also like, he can be a genuinely great actor. I think Kevin James deserves a role like that, you know? He, he kind of never got that. I think Kevin James like tried to branch out at one point and he picked like, like movies that like no one saw and no one remembers, Aww. so I don't think he's ever really Kevin James retrospective. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, Kevin. Oh, I I met him on an airplane once. Sorry, oh, it's really quick. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, oh my god, I was in middle school, but I remember he was very polite, very very courteous, and um, I think it was with his agent or something like that. He was the one that kind of hurried him along, mm. but he took the time to say hello to me and my mom, and nice nice guy from that experience. That's that's nice. Yeah, again, like, I, yeah, I also think he's never really gotten his due. I think he, he did Paul Blart Mall Cop and it was all over. Yeah. Like, because now that's all he is to, like, everyone. But, yeah, I think I think that was it. I think right around, I now pronounce it Chuck and Larry, Grown Ups era, that was when I was done with Adam Sandler. But where did it all start? Well, I guess we gotta go back to Billy Madison, his second leading role in a film and the first like big one that he ever did. Cause again, this is the movie that gets going overboard, like re-released um, Billy Madison from 1995. At this point he's on SNL. And I think people look back fondly at his era on SNL. Cause that's like him and Farley and Spade and uh, Rob Schneider and Mike Myers for a little bit. And Dana Carvey and all those people. And then but I think people forget that, like, 94-95, SNL was, like, savaged by the critics. Like, it was just, it was considered, like, SNL is finally going to die. Because <laughs> it's so awful. And I think we'll, I'll get more into it next week, because Adam Sandler is eventually fired from SNL. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I think it's weird. Do you remember, like, do you know anything about his career at SNL? No, it's a it's a big blind spot for me. Uh, I guess I've been procrastinating, like, looking more into that as we go on with his stuff. But, uh, no, I'm not I'm not too well-versed in that. But I, I do know that uh, 
SNL, to be fair, does go through that every, like, decade. There's always a couple years where it's like, this is probably it. And it never is, for some reason. Well, I think there's something about SNL where I kind of hate the mystique of SNL. Like, SNL was, like, this really, like, transgressive show in the 70s. And then it just kind of became, like, this average comedy show. Then it kind of became a part of the system, you know? It's in this weird position where it's trying to poke fun at Trump, but, like, shows like SNL are entirely responsible for Trump. Like, they don't, they don't know how to go at someone in a way that actually means anything. Not that I'm, I'm not even sure if comedy can really even be used in that way, especially today. I think we're starting to realize that, you know, satire isn't what helps anymore. I think it's okay to, like, laugh at, but I don't... Like, even in that context, like, yeah, I think you're you're on the right track for sure. Um, but even, like, with what they're doing, it's, like, it's softball stuff. Like, isn't it weird how Trump, like, is orange? Yeah. He, and it's, like, a, dude, like, you fucking morons. You just had him on your show. He's a buffoon. It's, like, it's one step away from tussling his hair on Jimmy Fallon, you fucking asshole. Yeah, like, it's all the jokes. Like, Trump's a buffoon. His supporters are buffoons. The people around him are buffoons. But they don't really have anything to say beyond that. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's been that way for a while. I mean, we uh, to go back to the 90s, I mean, that was... I think George H.W. Bush was the first president to go on SNL after he was president. And then, of course, Obama went on, like, while he was on the campaign trail in 2008. <laughs> and that was, like, a big deal. And all he did was, like, I'm Obama, and then left. But then that became a thing. Like, we're now... Like, it became a thing that the candidates have to do something on SNL, you know? It's just... It's so weird. Yeah, I'm not exactly pro SNL. Uh, I'm not anti because you get a lot of people, like get a lot of talented people to come out of it, um, like Bill Hader or like John Mulaney. That's more yeah. recent, and I think that's like the the real, um, like the heart of SNL. You know, like yeah, because it's all like corporate bullshit now and all that jazz and like propping up demagogues. Yeah, I guess. But uh, it, talent. There's a lot of talent that they. Find. There's definitely a lot of talent, but there's also something where it's like sometimes talented people like aren't good there. Like mm-hmm. there's been a couple people that like they just didn't know how to use. Like Chris Rock was like not huge on SNL, and then he left and kind of became huge. You also get stuff like I, I get so annoyed where even when there's an SNL skit I like, there's like this weird attitude where like every line has to be a joke, and that gets like frustrating sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could talk about SNL probably more than I should. SNL retrospective. Fuck no. <laughs> um, although, like you said, like like I think people forget that SNL kind of like every episode there's hit and misses, and we only kind of remember the hits. So like we talk about certain eras as being great, but there are like three or four eras that are really singled out as being among the worst. And I think it's like like 1980. 1985 and then 1994 like 94 is considered one of the worst years in snl history i'm gonna go ahead and toss like any year this last decade oh yeah just go ahead and toss it in there too i mean i don't know i don't even pay attention to snl anymore i i don't i don't i used to watch like almost religiously at a point um but like the whole 2016 election like just broke my brain so that's like doesn't happen i think there was a part where a point where like, when Tina Fey left, because she was head writer for a bit, there was, like, a year that everyone, like, said was awful, and they're like, SNL's gonna get canceled. <laughs> and then, I think, there was that weird thing where it felt like 
after the election, people were like praising SNL for a little bit. Do you remember? Yeah. Like SNL kind of got a little edgy for like a second, and everyone's like, "Oh, they've learned." And and then they made like fucking white ass Wonder Bread the head writer. Oh, is that who the head? What's his name? Colin Colin Jost and Michael Che. Holy Michael Michael Che is not great either. So Colin Joust is the head writer. Oh yeah. I did, I just thought he was the update guy. I didn't know he was the head writer. I think they both got the update gig, and then he became the head writer. Good lord. And I think Michael Che is too. Yeah, which explains, like, a lot. Yeah. that dude is just... That's not a human being. That's that's a piece of white bread toast. He's not... I've never seen anything where he added to it. <laughs> that's it. He's he's just an object. I'm, in, I'm completely baffled by that. I mean, we should go back and talk about Billy Madison, but just coming off of, like, Seth Meyer on the Weekend Update, who was, like, I thought really good... Well, good enough that he that? got his own late night talk show. Uh huh. Like that's just the quality drop is insane. But the fact that no one's corrected it is kind of crazy to me. You know, like. Yeah. But I guess there's like people seem to like SNL. I don't know. There seems to be a, a fan base for SNL right now. That I just because I see people tweet about it all the time, and I know a lot of people who reference it fairly regularly, and I'm always completely lost. And I just, I can't think of, like, what was the last, like, good SNL skit? Well, because I, I don't watch regu- regularly, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I did stumble on one with, like, Ryan Gosling. That I, I he, he just can't sit through the skit, and it's, it's really charming. Oh, yeah, he did a few. I don't know how, like, good it would be without it. He did a few like that where, like, I think his whole episode, like, he kept breaking, but... <laughs> Yeah. But I think I think it was like when he was promoting the nice guys too, which made it even better. I just wish that had maybe fucking helped the nice guys. Yeah. Ah, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could have done like a nice guys retrospective in like ten years or some shit? Yeah, we could have done a whole franchise. Nope, y'all failed us. But I think I'm just trying to think. Like the one I remember. Remember when like David Pumpkins happened? Oh like, yeah, that was like right before the election too. Uh-huh. Oh, my simpler times. Holy shit. That feels like a decade ago. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. And, but I remember, like, and I saw that skit, and it was pretty funny. Like, I, like yeah. That that one got me. That, that's a, it, was, it was just funny because it, so, it was so weird, and, like, rarely does SNL go, like, super weird. There's, a, there's one from back in the day, uh, Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon called, like, Dog Show or something like that. And I don't remember if the audience liked it, but it's just, like, really weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's pretty good, but SNL, like, rarely does that. Okay, you know what? I'm full of shit. I saw the Christian Stewart one because, obviously, that's 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 the homie. And I, I'll watch anything Christian Stewart and Robert Pattinson are in. Uh, but her episode, I thought, had one, like, really funny skit where it's, it's filmed like a, like a French art romance film. And uh, that one, that one got me. I cannot remember it. I cannot remember who else was in it, but I just thought it was the funniest thing. But that's it. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say something real quick. Kirsten Stewart. Mm-hmm. Everyone stands Kirsten Stewart now. Yes, of course. Everyone's, everyone's finally realizing that she's like actually a great actress. I feel like it would be wrong of me to stan Kirsten Stewart. Because you shouldn't stand anyone, or because no? Well, there's, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> But, mainly because I was such a dick about Twilight back in the day. I feel yeah. like I can't, it's irresponsible of me 
to act like I love Kirsten Stewart when I was such a douche in high school. That's certainly something that's always on my mind about that. Because I feel, I feel, yeah. I'd be lying to people. I think it's morally wrong of me to stand Kirsten Stewart. <laughs> well, how bad did it get? I, I you know, I, I was an idiot like, in high school too, but. But like, I'm trying to think, like, you know, oh, she's she can't act. I don't know. I will say. Uh, Adventureland was the big film I saw that turned me around on her, and I was like, holy shit, I, I get it now. And then she started getting little smaller hits like that, and I was like, oh, she's just, you just don't see performances like that in, like, American movies. You see them, yeah, like, it's, overseas. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that, you know, she's doing that thing where it's like, I'm using all the money I made off of those movies to just have an interesting career. Oh yeah, it's great. And now she's coming back to blockbusters. I hope they're good. Yeah, that like, one. Um, that's exciting. That one the trailer that just dropped for like underwater or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck that's called. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to be a masterpiece, but it could be fun. Yeah, you know, like there's nothing wrong with like a quality B level little thriller like that. I hope it, it's successful because I like. I'd like to see more of those. You never know, though, because Hollywood's in a weird place right now. Oh, yeah. Like, we all might be dead. Just even outside of Hollywood, we, would, we all might just, like, die. Oh, yeah. Soon. No, there's a oh, very good we'll chance see. of that. Very high probability. At the very least, we're going to start getting government-approved movies. <laughs> just like China. Yeah. Well, we do already have the MPAA, which is a censorship organization. Oh, yeah. But we can't campaign against that. We have to campaign against, like, Five kids with a change.org position petition. <laughs> Those are the real censor. The people not in power are the real threats. Anyway, Billy Madison. Billy is not an idiot. Oh, oh, oh. Give me one more chance. I'll prove I can take over. First grade through 12th grade, all over again. And then I get to take over Madison Hotels. You're on. I want you all to meet Billy. Hello, Billy. You want some more of that? I didn't think so. Second female director. Directed by Tamara Davis, who does a lot of television work nowadays. She did CB4, which is kind of like the rap version of This Is Spinal Tap. It starred Chris Rock. That was like her big hit before this. Um, after Billy Madison, she did Half Baked with Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. That was a big movie for me. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, she did Crossroads, which was the Britney Spears vehicle. Oh, yeah. Britney Spears, Zoe Saldana. Yep. And the other girl that no one remembers. No, 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 no. She, she's an Orange is New Black. I think that show's still on. Yeah, but no one watches it anymore. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> But that was kind of, and that was like the last movie she did, and then she only did television. And I mean, I don't want to say like any of those are like magnificent directorial achievements, but she had a lot of hits, and she, and while Crossroads was like savaged by critics, it was a box office hit. And it's weird that her career just ended. It makes it like, especially now when you look back at like how they talk about how hard it is for like female directors in Hollywood, like it makes you wonder what happened. <laughs> But I do think the direction's, like, at least more than competent here. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it's obviously a lot of, like, just traditional, like, setups and, like, coverage stuff. But there's, like, 
like when when you're introduced to uh, Bradley Whitford's character in the house, there's like a a, a long take yeah. just following them around, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like they're doing that? Yeah, there are moments. Like it doesn't it doesn't mean anything, but I was like, oh, there are moments like a real movie. that feel like a real movie in this, but I don't think it ever continuously feels like a real movie. Oddly enough, I feel like if it had been cheaper, I would have it would have been better. Maybe, but I don't know if they could have afforded the weirdness because you know we're just coming off of going overboard. Yeah, and that movie tries to get that little weirdness going on, but it can't quite pull it off because of the no budgetness of that movie. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a middle ground because this only cost like ten million dollars. Yeah, it's a ten million dollar movie. It made like twenty six million, so it was a hit. Um, but yeah, I think. A big problem with this movie, which I like, is that it does, it's kind of like at times it gets just really bizarre. At times it gets like really self-referential. At other times it feels like they're like laughing at the fact that they're making a bad movie. But it never like coheses in any way. Like, and it feels like they're just doing it as like, like they're like, oh, our movie sucks on purpose. Like as an excuse, mm-hmm. but it never it never totally works in that way, you know. It still it tries too yeah, hard. Yeah, totally. It can't decide if it wants to be a real movie or if it wants to be a joke. And I feel like it's that's kind of ends up becoming the superpower of Adam Sandler because then you get the points where it's like it makes it very easy for him to be like, well, I'm not making these movies for the critics because he lets us know that he's not really trying. <laughs> But then this, he did it for the fans. Yeah, but then at the same time, he like I also call it like I can, that's what I think the problem with like South Park is too, if that makes sense. I mean, it's got a lot of problems right now, but like oh, there you go. This is our through line for the SNL discussion too. Not to completely derail your point, but like they they see they they arrive, they're provocative, they're different, and then eventually they're just part of the machine, you know. So I I, just, I think. Sandler kind of fits in a weird vein there. Too. No, no, I, I I would definitely agree with that. But I don't think Sandler was ever that provocative. No, but he was obnoxious. He was obnoxious, and it, it's it's honestly very confusing to be like, why did this? Why was this the thing that became the through line for like America? Like, why was he such a box office star for so long? Like, the only thing that stopped him is that he just jumped to Netflix. Like, he never really had like that many bombs, you know. Yeah, because he's got a couple, which we we will, we will, talk about, we will definitely talk about but, him. Um, but he did. He yeah, I don't know. Maybe Netflix money was just like easier, you know. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not like saying you know. I, it's just to me like why didn't because like the public eventually turned on like a lot of the comedy guys of that era. Like Spade had like a very brief career, and then people got sick of his shtick, and then he like mostly did television. And then Rob Schneider had like three years where he was big. And then dropped off the map. But, like, Adam Sandler never really went away. I don't know. I I think this is weird because I just called him obnoxious. Adam Sandler is l- super likable to me. Yeah, you know what? That's what it is. He doesn't seem like, like – he's loud and obnoxious. You know, like in middle school, uh, which is when a lot of his films came out in theaters for, for people our age. Uh there was a lot of Adam Sandler impersonations, and those got obnoxious. But, like, the man himself, I just, I don't hate him. I, I, I'm not repulsed by him, regardless of how many movies we'll talk about that are very difficult to sit through. 
even his his lack of care it feels like it doesn't feel insincere or you know it doesn't feel cynical even though it totally kind of it, is no well it totally is but i also think he does have like a warmth to him that we'll get into i'll get into it later with this film because saying that it's hard to believe when you watch the first scene of the movie that this character could have any warmth and then by the end of it like he's he's kind of doing like a thing where he's acting very humble and like he's admitting it to his mistakes and it's like very earnest it doesn't really make a lot of sense but it's there's an earnestness to it that I think yeah I think it's his warmth I think that he's a likable guy he can somehow be both likable and obnoxious he can also be like he is somehow like at the same time a man child but also like super masculine too like yeah it's it's a weird line he rides with that he never allows his masculinity to be questioned in these movies um, and I think as we go deeper into his filmography, that warmth is going to start going away, and I think that's why, like, people started turning on him more. I, I could see that. Uh, I also think that a big part of why the obnoxiousness it doesn't end up working, but why the earnestness side of a movie like this does is because it almost feels it needs way more legwork. And I don't know if it was the intention, but like walking away from this last viewing, I was like. Was the obnoxiousness like an intentional facade for the character, and he's like actually really insecure? You know, like to bring up uh, the retrospective favorite Aquaman, the 2018 motion picture. <laughs> like they use Jason Momoa's like bravado and alcoholism and like testosterone fueled like battle rage uh, as like it's revealed as a facade. And when he's talking to the giant kaiju Mary Poppins <laughs> in the bottom of the ocean, which is something that happens in Aquaman the movie. That was released. Which is an incredible film. Um, uh, he, it just He's revealed to be like, he's still just that scared little kid who doesn't feel like he has a home. And he doesn't know what else to do. And it's like really touching and very sincere. So Billy Madison reminded me of James Wan's Aquaman. I buy it. Because <laughs> Aquaman okay. also isn't like a totally complete character. Like there's some problems mm-hmm. there. But like you're kind of right where like it comes together when it needs to in an odd way. But, like, one thing that's, like, for the facade thing, that like, even that doesn't totally work because, like, the first scene with Billy Madison, he's, like, such a buffoon, it's hard to believe, you know? Yeah. He doesn't know how to spell rock. <laughs> that's a big part <laughs> in this movie. He doesn't know how to spell rock. So, like, it's, like, hard to be, like, is he, you know, is he stupid? Is he just drunk and irresponsible? Or is he, like, like genuinely mentally ill? <laughs> like, Because at that point, it's like, we shouldn't be laughing Yeah, here, exactly. Like, know? it starts getting weird. <laughs> and, because, like, you know, that, that opening... I'll just jump to the opening. I'll come back to, like, who it, who's in it and who made this real quick. But <laughs> the first scene is him. He's, he's talking in, like, a cartoon voice to himself <laughs> as he puts suntan lotion on, <laughs> where he makes a smiley face. <laughs> Which he punctuates by saying, smiley, to no one. <laughs> and then uh, he swims over uh, to his two buddies, uh, played by Norm MacDonald and Mark Beltzman, who I don't think ever like did anything else. <laughs> um, playing uh, Frank and Jack. And they're both drunk, too. Um, and then he realizes that 
It's Nudie Magazine Day. <laughs> All his nudie mags arrive. He says it like that. And he jumps out of the pool, drives a golf cart to get his nudie mags. And that's just the start of it, because <laughs> when he gets the nudie mags, which are also, like, a weird collection. Like, isn't it, like, like one of them's, like, elderly women? Like, they're, they're two, like, I can't remember what the first one is. Like, one's elderly women, and then the one he ends up picking is, like, drunk chicks. Like, that's, I think, the magazine cover. I, I think there's also, like, a template for the women that will appear in Adam Sandler films. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, just, uh, if you want, like, a nice Rosetta Stone for what's to come. That's what's, honestly, what was weird about watching this is that there was a lot of moments, you know, it's just to be expected from a 90s comedy where you're like, oh, that hasn't aged super well. And then, you, but then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this type of humor isn't just gonna stick around. <laughs> it's gonna get progressively worse. It evolves, but not, like, for the better. It, like, kind of defaults. Yes. Anyways, he's looking at his nudie mags, and then a penguin appears. This penguin, who is like a figment of his imagination, who comes back several time, several times, who he chases and is always trying to catch. But like, I don't know. I don't drink, but I know you do, Diego. Yes. Now, when you drink, have you ever seen a large penguin? Or any other large animals that you felt compelled to catch? Um, no. <laughs> okay. But I've also never drank, like, absinthe. <laughs> Which I think is the, like, the missing component to the film. Yes. Like, if they say that, you know, like, you do that in Eurotrip, and it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. But again, it's like, you know? what, what type of buffoon is he supposed to be? <laughs> I don't know. I think at that point, they're unintentionally declaring that Billy Madison has like developmental issues. I think the only answer is they don't know that it. he's developmentally stunted, which seems like where it's going from the start of the film. But by the end of the film, they say, "No, Billy, you actually are special, and you have the drive. You just like you you just are afraid to do it." Which leans into your idea that this is all a facade, but that is not enforced by the Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> the penguin seems to be in direct conflict with that reading. There are holes in my take for sure. Um, I'm kind of kind of helping out the movie here. Just the, the movie didn't do. And this. I think we're both thinking about the movie more than the writers did. Probably, but whatever. You know that that happens. Uh, I think they they thought a lot more about the cast. Yes. Well, first I want to talk about this movie was produced by. Uh, um, Robert Simons, who will kind of be Adam Sandler's guy going forward until, like, the early 2000s. Um, he's currently the CEO of STX Entertainment, which is one of those companies that's trying to position itself as being, like, both for the American and Chinese market. I don't know what they've produced, but I've seen their logo. Uh, I know I've seen it in theaters, but I... I have, too. It's, like, one of those... It's not the fanciest logo. It's just, like, a cheap, like shining light and then kind of glistens on their their like their their name odd hill uh, odd hill they... to die on but i think company logos have gotten really lazy in recent years uh not odd at all uh to to pull one from david fincher screen gems change your fucking logo <laughs> for 20 years um for those who don't know david fincher 
Every time he sees a Screen Gems logo for a commentary, he he just talks shit. Any logo, he'll talk shit about Screen Gems for not changing theirs. David Fincher yes. will talk shit about his entire cast and crew during his commentaries. It's uh, very interesting. David Fincher seems like a very odd man. He's got to team up with Adam Sandler at some point. Oh, you know that would be an incredible it film. Would, you know, he could have been... Sandler might have been perfect for, like, Gone Girl. There would need to be work... Done. No, he could have done it. I think he. I, I, I think he could have done it. I, know, I'm, I don't know. That's you'd have to change it a little. I, I think he could do a role like that, but yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. Have to change it a they little. would need to change either the scripts or the character mm-hmm. a little bit. I just think you just have to this slight tweaks. I don't think you have to fundamentally change it that much. I think he could have pulled off a role like that. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Perry gave a hell of a performance in like the smallest supporting role in that film. Yeah. But it's like a genuinely good performance. I'm sure Adam Sandler could have well, like he was also, played it well. He was also fucking Colin Powell in Vice. And was like really good in it. Vice? Vice. Vice. The fucking Dick Cheney movie. I didn't oh, that's right. I, I didn't see it. Jeez, you didn't see it? No, why don't I it's so de- why do I want to see it? It's very good. I know it's just going to piss me off. It's very good. I'm I'm, I'm seem to be like the I'm sure it's good. I seem to be like the like, one guy defending this movie cuz this movie got like savaged by critics. No, no, you you and Gene I think are are the big big fans of it. But like I uh I I just can't. I know I'm just going to get so pissed off and not even cuz the film just cuz reality, you I'm know. I'm frightened by Vice. That's a take. Like Vice seems like it's a herald of like a new filmmaking style. That in the wrong hands could do genuine damage to America. Which is why I'm excited <laughs> about it. Sea Vice, anyone who see, has seen it knows what I'm talking about. I think a lot of people watched it and like there's like the that liberal self-defeatist nature where it's like, it's just saying all the things I believe. And it's like, yeah, no shit, maybe we should say it a little more clearly <laughs> from now on. Like it's a movie that pulls no punches, it's not subtle, it like hates the idea of being subtle. And which is what I really respect about it. But then I thought, like, what if this was in the hands of, like... Like, this filmmaking style was in the hands of, like, the Koch brothers. You know what I'm saying? And they just and they just straight up lied. Like, who's that guy? That Dinesh D'Souza or whatever the fuck his name is? Oh, yeah, that fucking like, hat. He makes, like... He basically makes Michael Moore documentaries that are f- full of more lies. And for the right. Like, if he tried to do a movie like Vice... I think he like it could genuinely hurt people. <laughs> it could hurt the country. Cuz he's a dude that like makes no he has no qualms about just lying. Doesn't his own daughter not talk to him? And I'm pretty sure. Well, wasn't he in prison? Yeah. Yeah, he went to prison. Yeah. I think. Yeah, um the right wing is full of grifters. Who who'd have thought? <laughs> We're, the president of the United States is a grifter. It's like the the scam that worked a little too well. And because of that, America is going to be, like, the villain in every movie made 100 years from now. Why wait? Make them the villains now. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's the lesson to learn here. Don't you think it's a little pathetic that just because of who your father is, you get to come to school all over again? Yes, I do. I guess back to Billy Madison after that. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, sorry. It's all right. <laughs> Used to it by now. Um... This was uh, written by Sandler and a guy named Tim Herlihy. Uh, he was an accountant turned SNL writer. Huh, good, good for him. Yeah, and he became a, he was an SNL writer for a couple of years, and I believe he wrote 
a few more Adam Sandler movies. I don't know if he still writes Sandler's movies, but he stuck around with them for a little bit. Um, he'll be recurring. Um, but those are the two writers of the film. Uh, the writing is not exactly the strong suit, but what I will say, also like Aquaman, uh, the film throws everything against the wall, and when a movie does that, things are bound to not always work. But I think that's also why people got taken with this movie, because when it does hit, I gotta be honest, it got me. There are moments in this that you won't see in other movies. And that's all I'm looking for in movies these days. Yeah, it's it's different. It didn't stay different, but that's not this movie's fault, you know? Um, do you want to talk about the cast? All right. So, we got the great Bradley Whitford as Eric Gordon. The villain of the film. Bridget Wilson, who did not stick around in movies very long. I, I think she's still working, but she's not like... No, I, what I know. saw is that she hasn't worked in like a couple years. Um, but she was in a Last Action Hero. She had a brief role. Um, she was in uh, Mortal Kombat. I think a lot of people remember from the Mortal Kombat movie. That's right. And I know what you did last summer. I think those are like her biggest movies. You know, quality wise, though, they're about the same. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Darren McGavin as Billy's father. Yes, fucking Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Uh, and like you said, Norm Macdonald is Frank. But I guess uh, the only other people we have, like, um, I believe his name's Larry Hankin, was Carl. He's kind of like the good businessman in the movie. He's a character actor. You've seen like a million things. He was in Home Alone. He was in fucking Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. Uh, Larry Hankin is is great. He's good in this too, but I I love that guy when he pops up. Um, the late uh, Theresa Merritt as Juanita, mm. the, uh, the housemaid. Um, she was on That's My Mama, but I, I remember her from The Wiz back in the day. Oh yeah. Um, she has a as like the what? All right, what's going on with her character? <laughs> Let's just stop for a second. No idea, because sometimes it's like kind of like weird in an Adam Sandler way, and other times it verges on like just uncomfortable. Yeah, like she's she seems to be sexually attracted to Billy Madison. Yeah, but it's so weird in the context of the movie. It honestly just feels like they're like we need to give this character some funny lines. That's one of the big misses of the movie. Yeah, it is. Like, I don't think any of those jokes really land. Uh, no, and it's weirder because at, whenever she's around, they play Billy as, like, infantile. Yeah. So when they make those jokes, it's like, this is wrong. Like, Does this movie have an Oedipus complex? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, it's just uncomfortable to watch. But it's also, I, I love that actress, but her performance, her choices are very odd because she, like, is saying, like, like, that Billy's got a great ass, but she says it, like, in a warm way. Like, not in a, like, lustful way or anything, you know? Which just yeah. makes it stranger. <laughs> Maybe the worst part of the film. Possibly. And I guess the yeah. other guy we could bring up is just uh, jo Josh Mostel as uh, Principal Max Anderson, who is also an oddly... Uh, is, is, there's a joke, his character's horny. <laughs> That's a joke in this film. And he's horny for Billy Madison, and he doesn't hide his feelings about that. And it's not, like, over the top, but it's it's still, like, there's two there's two lines that acknowledge it, and it's that weird thing of, like, he's, like, he's, he's meant to be gay. I'm guessing. They never really say it. 
but he's interested in Billy Madison, so what other what else can you think? It's that weird thing that stuck around for, like, way too long. Like, this was even, like, a joke, like, four years ago. It might still be a joke in some circles, where it's like, gay people cannot control themselves. Gay men, specifically. It's usually men. Gay men cannot control themselves when they are around a man they find attractive. It never works, but also, like, doesn't... I don't know what... I get, it's like because it's it's weird, especially in these because Adam Sandler films like they have this like warmth to them still. So like because at some point we'll get into it, but we're meant to feel a lot of sympathy for the Max character. But it's also like we're laughing at him for being gay. Yeah. It's like weird, like gay panic, but also like, hey, we got to accept this guy. <laughs> yeah, Sandler films try to ride that like pretty often, especially in like the two thousands, if I remember correctly. Um. And so it's it's it leaves a really weird taste in your mouth. It's it's it's, it's more confusing, and I think it's that way of like him being able to navigate around where like some movies are just straight up homophobic in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like he's able to like navigate around it, um, but there's also again that's where I I almost, I brought up South Park earlier where South Park they kind of they, they pride themselves on being quote-unquote equal opportunity offenders like we'll make fun of everyone and that's what makes it equal which doesn't really make any sense because marginalized groups are not on the same level you know yeah. everyone kind of lives I, on a different level in this country unfortunately um but supposed to be punching up not punching down yeah but beyond that to me the a big problem i've always had with south park is like i've i've listened to those guys interviews i do think they are genuinely talented comedy writers but they've also been like, like they, they they pride themselves on saying our show's not actually about anything; it's just about jokes. And it's a way to like they let themselves off the hook when people go like, "Hey, you know, you're being irresponsible, perpetuating this stereotype." And like, well, we're not trying to say anything; we're just making a joke. And it's like, well, but yeah, and you're... but then they also want to be like a show that does say things, you know. Like, it's trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And Adam's, again, Adam Sandler is not as direct about that. He's not, he's <laughs> never been, like, as in-your-face like that. But it's certainly an element of his films. Yeah, it, it, it's it's weird. It's that and the, the maid, the housemaid stuff, uh, really kind of bog the film down from having, like, this general niceness about it i guess well i mean it bogs it down for me being like like willing to recommend it to people you know yeah yeah it's something that wasn't good for the time and aged even worse yeah like i i i do have a soft spot for it and i feel like there are people i know who if like i got to know them i'd be like you, you could check it out there's some stuff in there you might get a kick out of but there's also people i know that's like no don't watch it you'd hate it and you're not wrong for hating it like this is it's yeah. it's entirely a film that only like the curious should watch. Only for Adam Sandler completion. Exactly. <laughs> Which are gonna be a thing, I guess. We are gonna be like the only two members of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now that we're fifty minutes in, I guess we should talk about the plot of the film. Sean <laughs> Tan Lotion is good for me. Billy Madison is a story about a twenty-seven-year-old slacker who is trying to to live up to his father's legacy and run his Fortune 500 company. 
when he is denied that claim by Eric Gordon, the Bradley Whitford character, Billy Madison goes back to school to prove that he is responsible and he can live up to that. And wackiness ensues. He's going to do every grade from 1st to 12th, two weeks for each class. And if he can pass, which I don't know how, they never really go into how that's determined. Just yeah, like, I occasionally know. a teacher will be like, you passed. And he's like, yay. But that's how it's going to work. Something that goes oddly unexamined by this film is that the reason why he has to go all the way back to first grade is because the, the father just straight up, straight up admits that he bribed his teachers. That, like, the reason you graduated high school is because I bribed all your teachers. That's how you end up on the honor roll. You're not actually a good student. He's like, I thought maybe if you did well, you'd be encouraged to actually apply yourself. But that's not what happened. Billy didn't go to college. He's just been living with his father in their giant mansion. And they never go like, hey, eat. and then he's also like, oh, I didn't just bribe your high school teachers. It goes all the way back to first grade. Which, first of all, explains why he's such a stunted human being, because he like literally never had to develop from first grade to adulthood. But then that will that the, the whole stunted growth thing drops away pretty quickly. <laughs> and is never examined. Like, this would be a guy who frankly if that happened to him and then like he did kind of wake up and decide to change his life he would struggle with this stunted beginning for the rest of his life (laughs) we're talking about like continuous therapy we're not just talking about going back to school and getting an education we're talking about like he needs to overcome a lot of things that are deep in his mind Well, that's what the Billy Madison sequel should have been about. It should have been. Know? It should have been. But... Like adjusting to adulthood now that he's finished school. Could have been. Could have been interesting. You could do it. Actually, I'll talk about it. You, they could have done a sequel to this, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but again, also, but just the fact that his father's like, look, I'm so rich. I bribed all your teachers. Which is, you know, a very bad thing to do. Yeah. Which, I mean, we're not just talking about bribing to let someone who didn't actually do the work through. Like, that happens all the time in America. Yeah, like, when people found out about that recent scandal, they were like, that's that's happening? And then, you know, everyone was like, well, yeah, no shit. But the other thing, I think the thing that is more important that goes unexamined in this film and in that recent scandal is that not only are you letting someone through who didn't do the work, you're also denying it to someone who doesn't have the resources who did work harder. Like that makes it's it's just it's odd that it never goes examined that what his father did was like a genuinely bad thing. It's not like something that we can just like write off. Yeah, honestly, the father should have been like a co-lead of the film having to deal with that. That could have been like I mean that would have been like a real movie. Yeah, you know what? Well, um... It's also it's so weird. The father plays such a little part. Like the idea is like he's trying to win the approval of his father, but that's also not a big part of this. And we don't really know what Billy wants. Like, he, he he seems to just not want Eric to have the company. And Eric is... We learn that Eric is kind of a mentally unstable person himself. Yeah. But he also makes a very valid point when he's like, look, if we give the company to Billy, like, all the people's... Everyone's jobs will be threatened. <laughs> like, we can't have Billy run this company. He'll, he'll endanger the jobs and livelihoods of, like, hundreds of employees. And Eric, again, although he's unstable... He never, like, goes, like, once I get a hold of the Madison hotel chain, I will shut it all down and just make a profit for myself, you know? 
Like mm-hmm. he's not like he doesn't have some evil plan to do with the company. He just wants it really bad. And I think in a way maybe he's supposed to be like a like a reflection of Billy Madison, but it never <laughs> really works. I mean that reading is totally like viable, and by the end he's like a dirty reflection of Billy Madison though. Like not to jump directly to the end, but you know the the question that stumps the Eric character. I think they're trying to say something about like ethical bosses and they're both entitled in a way but one of them is like ethical like i think that's all it really is but Mm. we don't get enough of billy being ethical for that to make sense although you know what no there's you know he learns to mend his ways at one point so i guess it's kind of there it's still very flimsy but yeah it's flimsy but then he's also we see him be more empathetic to the people around him like the kids primarily but, like, I, I think that's supposed to help us see that it's opening up, like, his heart yeah. to other stuff, you know? And um, and eventually when he – I mean, sorry to, like, just jump right into it. But, like, when he decides not to run the company, yeah, I, I can settle with that. At the end of the movie when he, he says, I'm not going to run the company. I'm going to give it to Carl. Carl is, like, always, like, hovering around. He's kind of like the nice businessman as opposed mm-hmm. to Eric. Um but so he gets the company and Madison's like, I'm going to become a teacher, which that's what the sequel should have been. <laughs> Billy Madison as a teacher. I think you could have probably done something with that. But hey, whatever. I guess we should go through uh, Billy's school career. I got to talk about first grade because I really love Miss Lippy. It's just a very odd character. Yeah, yeah, go for um, it. She, well, it's just. You know, it's hard to think back because when you're in, you don't realize how kind of weird elementary school is until you're out of it. And you don't remember like how stupid you really were as a child. I think some people maybe have their pulse on it, but I, it's hard for me to like be like, wow, like we really did that. Like, <laughs> And I don't know. I just get a kick out of Miss Libby. She's like dressed like she's like a new age type person. That's the other thing. When I look back at school, I have a lot of questions about my teachers where I'm like, how did they end up there? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they do in their lives that brought them? I've, like, I've had people, like, I don't know why. Some people have suggested to me, like, I should be a teacher. And I, like, I'd be like, why? <laughs> I cannot think of, like, a, a career I would enjoy less than <laughs> being a teacher. And when I think back, like, someone, like, you know, the elementary school teachers I had, it's just like, they were, you know, they were kind of strange people. I, ha- I had some out there ones. Um, but, like, when I think of middle school, I think back to, like, being really respectful of authority. Like, no, 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 the teacher's always right. Like, the, the person in charge is always right. And now I'm just so the opposite of that. I was always I was always kind to teachers. Even teachers that, like... No, no, no. I, I, I would still be, like, kind to, like, you know, people older than me or whatever like that. Or, like, a, like a boss or something like that. But I will also be more um, questionable about like, are you sure that's the right call? And back then, I would never have done that. Well, I was de- I was a bad student back in the day. It took me a while to get my shit together. I was a terrible student. But uh, I never got it together. No, I, I got well. I, my famous thing is I got it together, and then immediately ended up in the hospital, and that kind of ended my high school career. <laughs> no, no, I, I never got it together. But I just found out I really like writing, and I really liked writing and that just got me through like it well here's the one i I might have told this story on here but i in eighth grade i used to draw a lot and i was drawing in a study hall and i had a teacher come over and basically humiliate me in front of everyone in the study hall 
by like saying I should be doing my schoolwork instead of drawing, and like you know saying it so everyone could hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, dick. Yeah, and I gave up drawing because of that. Wow. And I fuck really that. regret that. Honestly, that's I, I, I don't mean slash their tires. I don't mean this as disrespect because I had a lot of great teachers, a lot of whom I liked. But if I could go back and do it over again, I would have tried less. Because I knew what I liked by high school, and I wish I had just focused on that instead of feeling really weird and insecure about like having to like learn French or some shit. Oh, I, I totally, totally get that. I had started to realize I loved reading like from a, a like early like middle school ish, like probably like third or fourth grade, and then I really fell in love with it like sixth grade onward. And then I loved writing in high school, but I went to uh, a technical like college prep school, and I was studying architecture, mm. which is well <laughs> does not have a lot of like <laughs> analytical yeah. writing involved. <laughs> yeah, that seems like the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I love architecture. I'm fascinated by it. I got a bunch of books, but it's not what I want to do. <laughs> so I was also I was one of those kids that. Like, this will sound, I, this, I, I feel like a douche saying this, but I was just one of those kids where if I wasn't challenged, I didn't really try that hard. And I remember, like, freshman year, like, my English teacher, like, the books we had to read for freshman English were, like, the worst. They were just these terrible books. And they're all stuff, they're all, like, young adult books, right? And it's this mm-hmm. idea of, like, kids can't get into a book unless they have a character their age in it, which is a mentality I've always hated. Like, we read a book about, like, the Revolutionary War, but it's, like, told from the perspective of a young kid. And it's like, I can't fucking relate to that kid. And yeah. we read uh, the I Am the Cheese by Robert Cormier, which if I had a time machine, the one thing I would use it for would be to go back in time and kick Robert Cormier in the balls for writing both <laughs> I Am the Cheese and The Chocolate War, which are two books that, like, teachers really push on you, being like, no, this is these are important books for you to read. And then you read them and they just fucking suck. <laughs> but then when I got to uh, I missed sophomore year because I was sick but then when I came back for junior year um, the first book we read in uh, junior English not honors because I couldn't get in but regular English we read Ethan Frome you ever read Ethan Frome? no and like it's it like the whole class like hated it and they wanted to kill themselves and no one liked it because this is like this really like boring book but I like loved it and I got like super into it. And then we read like The Great Gatsby, and I just, I was like so into it. And I realized, like, oh, I actually like this stuff. I just need, like, I needed something that actually had more weight to it than, like, you know, trying to examine kids growing up, which is what all those fucking young adult books are about. You know what really got me out of that fast? Mm. Sixth grade. Like, the full year where I was like, I wanted books for my birthday oh, all right. that year. Like, that was the first <laughs> thing, right? Uh, and I read the, the Lord of the Flies. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was like, this is awesome. Like, you know, that's not the reaction someone should have to the events that happened in that book. But, like, I just fell so in love with that. And then I Am Legend, of course, the, the big one for me. Yeah, same, same. Like, after that, I could, like, hop around wherever after that. And so, yeah, those the young adult aspect books really, really bothered me. Uh, and then high school, like when we first started English there, at least at least for us, we we got thrown right into Shakespeare. Mm. I forget if we read Romeo and Juliet first or, or Julius Caesar. But after that, you know, like the perception of Shakespeare is like, oh, he's so like 
gaudy and pretentious and boring and i was like this is the shit this is hilarious and and awesome and books don't read like this anymore and obviously they're plays so of course not i had the same reaction we did it we had a shakespeare unit at the end of freshman year but if i told you what we actually like studied around it you would like blow your brains out because it has nothing to do with the, the writing (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I had the same thing when I was in seventh grade. Um, for some reason, I was like, I'm gonna read more. Like that was like when I decided. And my dad had all these old paperbacks, and I just like took them and I brought them to school and I just put them in my locker, and I just slowly read them. Like it, like I literally filled my locker with paperback books, and I just I never used my locker for anything else. <laughs> and I just I would go through them one at a time, and I just remember. The first two I read, um, just on my own, was Lord of the Flies, which was terrifying and, like, fucked me up, and Animal Farm. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that one got me. Well, I mean, it's like, I was seventh grade, I didn't really, you know, that's a weird one for a seventh grader, I think. And yeah. I do remember we, like, it was, like, first day of English class, like, first day of school, we had to go around, like, one of the requirements was to bring a book first day of class, so we all had to bring our own book. And everyone was like, you know, introducing what they were reading, and I and it got to me. And I was like, <laughs> Animal Farm, and the teacher laughed. <laughs> and like, not like, not like a laughing at me way. Like, it was a very nice. Like, I like Mr. Klein, who's not listening to this, by the way. But Mr. Klein was a great teacher. I wish I had tried more in his class. He was. Re- he gave me so many breaks that I just didn't take. Um, well, now that I guess we're done patting ourselves on the back for being smarter than everyone in high school. Oh, no. No, I, I was an idiot. I'm an idiot now, but, like, in high school, good lord, I just did not think with my brain. High school is just so weird because you're, like, some of us, like, you start getting, like, really smart in some ways, but then are also, like, fucking the dumbest you'll ever be in others. Oh, yeah. And it's just at the same time, so. And, you know, you think you're the first person to have, like, really deep ideas, you know? Oh, like yeah. you know Thomas yeah, Jefferson no, I, I owns like... slaves. Like you think, <laughs> you think that's like a big revelation. I had a I had a big thing. I, I was talking to like because uh, we had like shadows, right? Like, oh in, yeah. In high school sometimes, mm-hmm. and so I was talking to like some incoming freshmen, and they, I was like, I just remember being very upset that you don't know Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. And I was just so insulted. Um. Take that moment, except wind the clocks back to me in third grade. <laughs> Again, irresponsible single parent. I just watched everything with my dad. So if fucking Scarface was on, I watched Scarface. <laughs> so like I knew Al Pacino was in third grade. You know, I, I learned to talk by watching Jaws over and over again. <laughs> and I think teachers thought I had a speech impediment because I would just talk like Robert Shaw. <laughs> For a while, I had a I had a big thing because I saw over the hedge in that. Camera. Oh no! This is not. I, I was like, uh, this is middle school by that point. But uh, the 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 cat makes a joke about Stella, oh, yeah. and so I was like, that's so funny. I don't know what that's from, but it made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And then I I saw a streetcar named Desire, and so for a solid year after that, I was like Elaine Bennett, <laughs> Stella. Well, I was like I when Over the Hedge came out. Oddly enough, I was also like. You don't understand. This is Bruce Willis, William Shatner, and Gary Shandling. <laughs> and, like, everyone my age is like, who the fuck is Gary Shandling? Aw. Hey, whatever. No, I'm saying aw because Gary Shandling is no longer with oh, us. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, Gary Shandling, rest in peace. 
has nothing to do with Billy Madison. No, that's probably going to get cut. Um, no, it's great. I'm glad Leave it's it in because it has something to do with school. <laughs> Which is related to Billy Madison, the film we're talking about today. First grade introduces uh, two important story elements. Which is, one, the puppy who lost his way. That little boy's got to think, you got a pet. You got a responsibility. If your dog is lost, you don't look for an hour and then call it quits. You get your ass out there and you find that fucking dog. And O'Doyle rules, which is a weird recurring bit in this movie. He must have had, Adam Sandler must have had a bully named O'Doyle that like picked on him. I feel like a lot of Adam Sandler movies are kind of like, yeah, there was this thing that bothered me in real life or like this person that bothered me in real life so i'm gonna make a movie about defeating them yes <laughs> well this movie and i mean like whatever th- this movie he does not beat any of the o'doyles they go off a cliff and die <laughs> <laughs> and, we hear the ex- and they're chanting o'doyle rules as they drive off a cliff and die what an odd piece of film uh we talk about in the dodgeball scene he really hit those children with dodgeballs <laughs> It was our first movie that we were doing and, and we had some control of and we wrote that movie, Billy Madison is the dodgeball scene. I'm hitting all these first graders really hard. Really hard with the dodgeball and so we go to shoot it. And this is like 20 years ago, guys, so I'm just guessing if this is correct. But I, 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 so I hit some kid pretty hard and he gets upset and he starts crying. And then the parents all come up to me and they're like, hey, what's the deal? And I was like, what do you mean, what happened? And they're like, you're the kid, you nailed that kid. I was like, oh, no, 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 that's the scene. I'm supposed to, I'm like a big guy, I went back to school, I'm supposed to plug all these kids as part of the joke. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, I said, well, didn't they read the script? They go, they're, they're six, they don't read yet. I, like, well, <laughs> I said, but I know, yeah, come on. And anyways, I uh, said, all right, I won't do it or something. And I think I told the guys to roll anyways, and I nailed a bunch of kids. And uh, <laughs> something awful like that. But those kids uh, grew up, and guess who they are today? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's Adam Sandler for you. There's a, uh, there's a moment in first grade, too, where uh, it was just interesting because the, the kids are talking. He overhears a conversation where kids are talking about video games. And the kid like, Mortal Kombat for Sega Genesis is the best game ever. And Billy's like, I disagree. I think Donkey Kong is the best game ever. And the kid just goes, Donkey Kong sucks. <laughs> so you know something? You suck. And in that moment, I realized that video game discourse has not aged at all since 1995. <laughs> <laughs> it might have gotten worse. It, I, yeah, it has. Because now, fucking Billy would go home and send the SWAT team to that kid's house. <laughs> Oh my god, that's exactly what would happen in an Adam Sandler movie now. Yeah, I don't think people realize that, like, yeah, like, there's a lot of Adam Sandlers out there. <laughs> a lot of Billy Madisons. But without the money. Yeah, that's the thing, it's the weird thing is the privilege angle is, like, what goes oddly unexamined in, like, a lot of Billy Madison, I mean, a lot of Adam Sandler movies. I guess we'll get deeper into that as things go on, but... Yeah, here the movie is generally nice enough to kind of... It's a misstep, but it's not one where I'm, like, holding it against the movie. I don't really hold a lot against the movie. And I guess I'll say now, like, I, I do actually enjoy it. Yeah, I did, too. I, I mean, I've... It's, it's an enjoyable little There's movie. a lot of nostalgia with it for me. Um, I mean, I, I literally... I watched this when I was five years old. Oh, yeah, so that's with you forever. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I would literally... Every year when school started, we would sing the back-to-school song that Billy sings when he's at the bus stop. 
I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Like, we just, we thought that was funny. And so, yeah, like, so there's a lot of nostalgia for me for this one. But I, I, like, I guess I just know what's coming. So I'm like, nope, this is the, these are the good times. There's some nice ones in the future. Well, once we get into, uh, we get into the third grade is when Veronica Vaughn kind of officially comes into the film. She had, like, one moment before that. But now she's, Billy sees, like, Billy, like, is immediately, like, into Veronica Vaughn. Oh, yeah, what did you say, jackpot? Jackpot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess that's a little... And she hates, easy. she absolutely despises Billy and everything he represents. She's not wrong. She's not wrong, and, but somehow she does a complete 180 and will eventually fall in love with him, which is a recurring thing in these type of movies. Yeah. Hard to buy in any capacity. Like, we can't even, we can't, we can't talk about an evolution because there really is none. Like, we can't talk about, like, oh, here's the moment. There's one moment where, you know, it's odd. She turns, she starts liking him after he grabs her chest. <laughs> Remember, he gets, he gets double dog dared to, like, grab her chest, and then he does, and then she, like, she makes it known that he, like, she knew he was being dared. And he's like, I don't want the kids to know I'm I'm weak. And she's like, Oh, that's okay, Billy. Which is like, that's the moment you're okay with. Yeah, uh, not 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 great. But then the other moment is that the one kid pees his pants, and then Billy pretends to pee his pants, and that peeing your pants is actually a cool thing adults do. That's such an Adam Sandler moment, and I mean that in a positive. Yeah, yeah. Because that like, it shouldn't work, but it's endearing and like kind of aw inspiring you ain't cool unless you pee your pants yeah it's it's a nice moment and it's just kind of hidden under this crassness yes what a weird movie it's it is genuinely but yes you know what honestly it's only going to get weirder Uh, Mm -hmm. but that's the moment when she starts to like him and third grade of course we start getting like we kind of start getting a lot of tropes as to like oh this is what kids did in school because there's a moment where Billy has a meltdown when he can't uh, do cursive Z's and he announces he is never coming back to school, which hints that maybe he had like performance anxiety or whatever. You know, yeah. like, where kids like there's like that thing where like some kids like they're very smart, but they can't take tests because of anxiety problems. That was me. Honestly, that that fucked me up a lot. Yeah, really? I had I had I definitely had anxiety, but it was never. I don't know. I think testing tests were easy because it like they told you what to do. <laughs> No, no, I was I was terrible at tests. I was really good at note taking. Don't know what that's about. You know, I was uh, bad with like like writing. I like I had that thing where if I couldn't do it perfect, I couldn't do it. You know, like that took yeah. me like years to overcome. Where I felt like if I couldn't do it perfect and if I couldn't find the right answer, I just wouldn't do it. And when it took me a while to realize, well, like some answers, you know, there isn't a right answer sometimes. And also, mm-hmm. teachers just want to see that you at least tried. Like, that's a big part of your grade, is just actually trying. Um, so, but then he, he, he tries to pretend being sick, which is like, oh, isn't that funny? Kids do that, but this is an adult doing that. And then it gets r- weird, like, right away. Oh, yeah, with uh, Juanita. It's like, you can stay home mm-hmm. and shave my armpits? It's like, is that... I don't know what they're going for. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, get it, because women with hair is, like, gross, I guess. But she's attracted to him. Yes, I have no... The way she says it, too, is... I don't know. I have no fucking idea what's going on there. 
Yeah. But when Billy returns, that's when we get Principal Max Anderson. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> what is Principal Max? What does the revolting blob mean for the MCU? <laughs> <laughs> Um, two seconds on the job he finds a note where it says if I was Principal Max Anderson I would walk my fat ass right into oncoming traffic which is wrong to laugh at (laughs) (laughs) it is but it still it it still got me I I feel bad whenever that happens like this is this is horribly offensive I can't I can't help it it. it's the wording it's the wording of the note Sorry, and he like he didn't have to read it, you know. <laughs> like he just lets himself get humiliated. He was beaten by a third grader. Oh, that's that's uh that's something else I want to talk about too. The the relationship that Adam Sandler has with the kids in in third grade, uh, it's very sweet. You know, we kind of talked about it with the 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 pee in the pants incident, but I, it feels genuine. here. That's the class he seems to become closest with, and he'll keep seeing these kids as things go on. Um, the one kid, Ernie, I believe his name is, kind of becomes like his right hand man for a bit of it. Um, yeah, those kids, they become, I don't know why, I guess it was because Veronica Vaughn, but that class becomes like his special class. Yeah. And I guess the, the, which I mean, the kids really liked working with Adam Sandler from what I read. Oh, that's nice. Which it makes sense. I mean, he is kind of like a man child. I mean, like, like you were saying, like you, you're nostalgic about this movie and like, I think a lot of people generally are. And I think it's still, you know, critically it was never beloved. Mm-hmm. It, it does have a following yes. for sure. Um, we go on a field trip, um, which I talked about briefly, and that's when we, we meet one of our cameos, which is uh, Chris Farley as a bus driver. Yeah, is this the first time we talked about Chris Farley on here? Um, it might be. It might be. Wow. Um, who I don't think... I'm trying to think if he pops up again in an Adam Sandler movie, and I don't think he does, um, which is sad. It's like the only time... Like, I think they, they were both in Airheads, and I think Adam Sandler... Adam Sandler pops up in Norm MacDonald's Dirty Work, which was Chris Farley's last film. Um, but, I don't know, it's just... It's all it's that shame, like, where... Chris Farley's one of those guys, if you watch those old SNL clips... Like, he kills every line he's given, you know? Like, Farley was that good on SNL. And he was kind of given a type. He was always given, like, the angry big guy, but he wasn't always just that. Um, I'm trying to remember, there was one... There was one... Again, it's dated in terms of comedy, but um, I, I believe he played a gay fashion designer in one SNL skit. Which, you know, isn't the best. I think his name was Antoine or something. And it's just him, like, bringing people into his office and then being like, Now go! But the way Farley does it, it, like, kills me every time. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I revisited one skit, um, another one that is horribly racist. It's... Because here's the title of this skit. It's called Japanese Game Show. Oh, no. So you can kind of guess where this is going. Oh, no. Um, and none of the speaking roles are played by Japanese people. Oh, no. It is, uh, I believe it's it's Mike Myers is the host, is the game show host. Oh, no. Thankfully, no one puts on any yellow face. And I believe he's speaking 
actual Japanese. I believe all of them are speaking real Japanese, but it is kind of like you're laughing at like how weird Japanese people are. Mm-hmm. But the joke of the skit, thankfully, <laughs> isn't Japanese people are weird. I mean, that's part of it. But the real joke is that it's a Japanese game show and Chris Farley is an American who doesn't speak Japanese who somehow accidentally ended up on the game show. <laughs> and again, it's a horribly racist skit that I do not endorse, but Farley is so funny in it. Where he's like, you see what happened was. <laughs> the, 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 the embassy said, do you want to go to a game show? I thought they meant see a game show, not be on a game show. Well, even here, he only has like maybe a minute or two of screen time. And he rules. And, like, uh, the first instance with him on the bus, and he just gets really mad. I'll turn this damn bus around. <laughs> and then it, the camera just holds him for, like, ten seconds, and he starts, like, convulsing. Yeah, like, he's, like, his face gets, like, genuinely red. He's, like, on the verge of crying. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, man. Gone, gone too soon. And then him, Norm MacDonald, and the other guy steal all the kids' lunches. <laughs> <laughs> Who would do which, that? <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. Like, why they do it? <laughs> Who would steal thirty bags of lunches? <laughs> they just, ate all, they just ate all the lunches. And I got to talk about Norm in this. Norm doesn't get a lot to do, but I like that he's just kind of always there. Um, he's just like he's like the one hanger on. He's always drunk. He has. A couple of the best lines in the movie. Um, early on, he's like, Billy Madison's drunk. He's like, what day is it? And Norm just goes, October. <laughs> but uh, there's a there's a great... Talk about, like, weird comedy that's in this movie. There's a great moment where Billy Billy's in school, something happens, and they cut to Norm sleeping, and he wakes up. He's like, oh, man, I just had the weirdest dream, Billy. And he's like, where's Billy? And he's like, he's in school, man. It's like, all oh, right. Yeah. And then, like, that's it. That's the whole scene. <laughs> Um, the best scene with Norm, though. Norm has the best line in the movie. Um, the prince, Principal uh, Anderson gets blackmailed by Bradley Whitford at one point. The principal was a wrestler named the Revolting Blob who accidentally sat on a man and killed him. <laughs> and then lied about his teaching degree, or at least kept that covered up to get his teaching degree. Um, and so he, he blackmails him into saying that Billy cheated and that he didn't actually pass any of the early grades. So there's a scene where Billy, Norm MacDonald, and a couple of friends, they're all hanging out at the mansion and watching television, and some stupid show's on, and then it's over, and the news comes on and goes like, coming up, a story of corruption, how a billionaire, how the child of a billionaire was paid, like bribed a school in order to graduate, and it's like obviously Billy. <laughs> and Norm goes, now hold on, maybe it's somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Norm, Norm's gonna pop up again later, I believe. You know what? That that's a great line. That's not the best one. Okay. Once Billy gets to high school, we kind of get a moment where he has to realize that he was actually a jerk in high school. Um, going back because now he's the loser, and now he knows what it feels like to get made fun of. And you know, whatever. Not a great lesson, but um, interesting moments. That's the moment when he kind of starts to grow, where he's like, "Oh, all right, I actually have to change as a person." And before then, he's also like, he doesn't live in the mansion anymore. He lives in a tent, which I'm not saying that's like the best move, but it's also kind of like, I remember when I was younger and I was like, I moved to the basement. I was like, I'm living in the basement now. 
Like that was my grown up thing to do. <laughs> See, I I kind of wish I had this when I was younger too because I loved like making pillow forts. Like I still love it. I just you know fucking in my twenties, weird now. <laughs> yeah. But, like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Like people... if it was like if it was socially acceptable. I probably would. Yeah, you know? I would. Be, I would still be building shit with Legos if it was socially acceptable. Honestly, me, me too. Especially after the Lego Movie. Also, just if I could afford it, because those things are like a yeah. It's the other thing. Right? I think the other thing is that we, yeah, we no longer live lives where we could actually waste time doing those things. Yeah, it becomes kind of a. That's like, as I get older, I'm shocked people have time to play video games. Yeah, I know. Like for the patrons, I'm I'm doing a, a series of Halo uh, write ups over there. Um, and I'm just like, all right, like an hour, like before I go to bed this day and then I'll wait a couple of days. Cause that like really fucked my, my sleeping schedule. And then I'll go back again. Like, I, I won't go out Saturday night. I'll do that instead. And I'm like, how did I do yeah, this? How, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I did it either. Like back in the day, I just remember like, I would be like, I've been up for 48 hours playing Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally get it. I played Mass Effect 2 in, like, one sitting. And now, like, if I play Mass Effect 2 for, like, more than two hours, I'm like, man, I could have, like, watched a movie. <laughs> like, I could have read a book. <laughs> I could have, I gotta do my laundry. I could have done anything. And, you know, to keep it to, like, the, the, the school stuff, it's like, it's not like I can even, like, like, I used to look forward to getting sick sometimes because I would stay home. Like, I'm a terrible liar. So I couldn't ever lie to my parents about being sick. Like, if I was sick, I was sick sick. And then I'd stay home from school and be like, well, at least I have video games. And now I can't even do that because, you know, I got to, like, work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so fuck. Well, it's like I'm, yeah, you know, it's like I'm horribly crippled from disease. And I'm still like, fuck, I got to go to the fucking DMV. got to fucking do all this fucking shit. <laughs> I gotta be on the phone all day. It's like, oh, I finally have a day off. Oh wait, no, I finally have to get all my health insurance in order. This movie just became really yeah, depressing. it did. It did become super yeah. depressing. <laughs> I just wish I wish I was Billy Madison now. I I get why Adam Sandler makes these because he has the power. Oh to. yeah, no, he's live, yeah. living the American dream. I get it now. Uh, but when Billy realizes that he was a jerk in high school, he decides to call up an old friend. To apologize. Not an old friend, but someone he used to pick on in high school. Um, he calls up a guy named Danny McGrath, played by Mr. Steve Buscemi. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Uh, Billy, you know, just calls him and he's like, look, when I was in high school, I said a lot of things that I thought were funny then, and now I realize they're not funny now, and I, I just want to call to apologize. And if you want to get together, like, we could do something. He's like, that sounds good. It's like, oh, great, yeah, we'll meet up sometime. And he's like, that sounds wonderful. And then Buscemi hangs up and then leans over and crosses Billy Madison off his list of people to kill. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny. Unfortunately, it's kind of ruined by, it's punctuated by, then he puts, like, he puts lipstick on. Yeah, yeah. It makes it, like, it's a problem with all the Adam Sandler movies like we're talking about. Like, it's almost there and then it goes too far in, like, an unnecessary kind of reprehensible direction well unfortunately the real problem is like now that like we're slowly starting to like be okay like we're, we're pretty much if you look at statistics like 95% of people under the age of like 30 are okay with gay marriage and gay people so it's like the sh like the demographics are shifting really quickly like so much comedy has just aged so poorly 
I was looking honestly. I I I sat down to rewatch the Birdcage, and I was afraid it wouldn't hold up because that like the whole joke of that movie is that they're like really gay. <laughs> oh, I, I missed that as a blind spot. Oh no, it's but it, you know what? It still holds up incredibly well. Oh, you know what I rewatched recently? I really love the Magnificent Seven. Not as good as Seven Samurai, obviously, yeah, yeah. but like uh more rewatchable in my opinion, just because it's just a breezier film and not like such a downer. But um, <laughs> there's a moment in there where there's like. Uh, just a, a splash of cold water to the face where they just say a homophobic slur oh, yeah. just like casually. And I was like, whoa, you know, whoa, 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 what happened there? Yeah. And it really took me out of it for a second. And so every I, now and then you sit down and watch a movie and like you do like that spit, like comedy spit take when something gets dropped that you're like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like they, they said that? Why? Why was this okay? Well, that was, that was society. Um, yeah. Steve Buscemi will eventually come back into the picture though. <laughs> yes, he will. Eventually, first of all, Billy, when when he gets exposed, when the principal lies and says that he, Billy cheated, the, the deal is off. Now Eric's going to get the company. And Billy just immediately gives up and immediately goes back to being the, the jackass that he was. Um, and as a symbol of him regressing, the penguin also returns into the picture <laughs> at Veronica Vaughn's house. And Billy seems to believe that Veronica is sleeping with the penguin. <laughs> it almost works. The weirdness, I think, almost works there. If, if someone, if you're one of the people out there who's like, I'm not going to watch Billy Madison, understandable. I, I need you to understand that the penguin is literally a man in a giant penguin suit. Like, it's not like a, it's not like an actual penguin. <laughs> but Veronica Vaughn eventually comes and slaps Billy upside the head. And convinces him, like, that you shouldn't give up. And she says, You know, some people have no willpower, no brains, no vision. They just drift through life like lumps of crap. What is she talking about? And you have all those things. You're just afraid to use them. Don't be. Which, okay, there's no point where we get the idea that he has brains or willpower or vision. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, really, what I think she should have said was, Billy, you have the resources to do something with your life. Your father's rich. You can actually follow your dreams. You're just afraid to do that. That would have worked a lot better. But instead, she has to be like, no, Billy, you're special. But then, in a moment of inspiration, a musical number starts. You don't know how much of it is fantasy and how much of it is real. Like, there doesn't seem to be a line. A clown is in the music. Earlier in the film, a clown gets knocked over by a donkey that Norm MacDonald gave beer to. (laughs) (laughs) And busts his head open and is bleeding. And then in the middle of the song, he's just like, I bet you thought that I was dead. (laughs) (laughs) But when I fell over, I just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my head. It's like, you know what happens when your head hemorrhages, right? But the clown sticks around for the rest of the movie. He's in the background of the whole decathlon. <laughs> he's watching. This is the kind of weirdness that works. Yeah, and it's great because it's not acknowledged. He's just, he's watching. He's at the auditorium at the end, and he's when Billy graduates. And it's this great little moment. I have no idea why the movie suddenly goes there. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. By that point. The other one, there's a weirder moment earlier where when he finally go when he convinces his dad to do the whole thing, like, like he's like, his dad's like, all right, you're on. And Billy gets left alone on the staircase. Suddenly, I'll tumble for you starts playing. And like, Billy can like hear it. 
<laughs> he's, he's, he can hear the music playing, and then he just starts dancing to it. Like, it, why? <laughs> it reminded me of going overboard, because they tried to do similar things, too. Yeah. I mean, obviously it reminded me of that. <laughs> and I'm thinking this is like a Sandler thing, because this happens in a lot of his movies. I guess, but like they, it starts to go away as things go on. Like, it starts being more justified. Like, I was thinking of when we get into, not to jump ahead, but when we get to Happy Gilmore, um, he has, like, he has uh, his happy place, quote-unquote, that he goes to, which is, like, weird, like, happy dreams of his. But, like, suddenly he's having, like, these visions that they're, now they have an explanation, whereas here they have no explanation. Yeah, that's true. I, I wish they, they kept it more like this. Yeah. I bet his stuff would be better. Well, maybe not better received, but like they'd be at least more memorable. There'd be more reason to at least check it out. Yeah, because this is this is genuinely, I think, even like hilarious at certain points by the end. And also the musical number, like it's about how he's gonna finally, like you know, go back to school and like get all the shit done. And then it ends on everyone just saying, "Do you have any more gum?" <laughs> and I want to—I'm not joking. Like the clown is part of it. Veronica Vaughn's part of it. Norm Macdonald and the other guy are part of it. Juanita's part of it. It's like a whole thing. Wow, what a moment. The kids convince the principal to admit um, that he was lying, and then the principal goes into hiding. Um, and then Bradley Whitford's like, hey, look, the deal's off. You already gave me the company. But then Billy's like, look, how about we just face off mano a mano? We do an academic decathlon. Whoever wins gets the company. And then we're introduced to another, another cameo in this film. I wish I should mention we I totally skipped it, but Robert Smigel is in this as uh, the the one science teacher is talking about chlorophyll, more like borophyll. Robert Smigel, I believe he he'll write a couple of the films we'll cover here, and he's like famous SNL writer. He was one of the first, I believe he was the first head writer on Conan. He wrote for the Dana Carvey Show, which lasted like five episodes, but is like some of the best comedy you'll ever see. He's the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog. <laughs> I just felt the need to point him out. He has nothing funny to do in this, but he's in it. Are all these people just, like, associates of Adam Sandler? Because this is not a surprise. It's not, like, a secret. But Adam Sandler just tends to cast his friends in a lot of stuff. And I don't even – I'm not even going to say there's anything wrong with that because, like, if I had, like, the resources to make any movie I wanted to, I'd probably just hang out with my friends too if I could. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd do the same thing in a heartbeat. But um, that, that that's why they're in it, right? Especially if you're making a movie like this, which, like, doesn't have a lot of high stakes to it. Yeah, I think so. But I don't know how he got... I don't know where Buscemi comes from. Oh, no. Buscemi worked with him on Airheads. That's how they know each other. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he pops up a couple times. And I guess, from what I've heard, Adam Sandler's, like, the friendliest person on the planet. So... I mean, hey, that makes me feel better about this. Yeah. I mean, he's very unfortunate with his comedy, and I, I know he's a conservative guy. Um... I mean, you can kind of tell that by his work. I mean, a lot of people we've talked about here are conservative. Um, yeah. Norm MacDonald. Um, Chris Farley was conservative. So, yeah. Another conservative is uh, Jim Downey, who is the host of the Academic Decathlon. Yeah, I just want to say Jim Downey wrote for 30 years on SNL. Um, he's kind of, like, famous for being... And he's like he comes back every now and then because, like, somehow, like, even up to, like... What's his name? Um, Bill Hader worked with... Um, him at one point and Downey I believe has been like fired from SNL multiple times like there's like well there was, the one was that he was like Norm like him and Norm MacDonald like were buddies at SNL and so he wrote all the update uh, sketches for Norm when Norm was supposed to update and then when Norm got fired from update 
Um, Norm was kept on the show, but they both kind of protested it for a bit, and they kind of made like a stink behind the scenes. And I actually heard him. This is a true story. Jim Downey, I heard him in an interview talk about that one day he was at SNL, and he got a phone call from like the head of the network, and the network said, two things. You and Norm are fired, and Chris Farley's dead. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there. That sounds like a bit in an Adam Sandler movie. That's, but it's fucked up in real life. I know. Oh, that's messed up. I don't like yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, but Jim Denny, he's a very conservative guy. He was on like Dennis Miller's show for a while. Another oh. SNL conservative. He's very understated. Like he just he. He's just always, like, sneaking in about how his wife is a dirty tramp. He keeps saying that. <laughs> Even on the back, like, of the decathlon board? Yeah, it's three of the categories, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> One of them's, like, it's, like... My spouse is sleeping around. Yeah, my spouse is sleeping around, my wife, the tramp, and I married common street <laughs> trash. Like... It's so horrible. And I, I want to talk before before Diego gets to the best line in the movie. I just have to mention, for those of you in film Twitter, like, kind of, like, not paying attention right now... Jim Downey is in There Will Be Blood, and it's a noticeable role. He plays Al, the guy who helps uh, Daniel Plainview buy up all the land in the movie. Well, there's the line where he, uh, when Daniel was like, why don't I own this? He's like, don't get thick in front of me, Al. That's the line I always remember, but go ahead. Take the line from There Will Be Blood from Jim Downey's character. Put them in Billy Madison take his Billy Madison lines and put them in There Will Be Blood oh my god and I think both movies their quality increases exponentially yeah this this land is very easy to get kind of like my wife who is a dirty tramp <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we get it comes down to I believe Billy is ahead by one point um, so Bradley Whitford can tie in this final match and then they'll have to go to like a sudden death but Billy gets to go first and uh, but the opponent gets to pick the category. So they go through all the categories. Um, one of them is burning dog poo in the human response. Bradley Whitford, of course, picks uh, reflections of society and literature. And Billy gives this big speech where he tries to say that the book, The Puppy Who Lost His Way, is actually about the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> Which is a lot like all my attempts to make every movie we watch about 9-11. <laughs> I got it in. The whole audience claps, and Jim Downey gives his response. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points... And may God have mercy on your soul. Oh my God. That's not just the best line in this movie. That might be the funniest moment in like any Adam Sandler movie it might ever. Be. Like, he peaked right there. It's so fucking great. And, oh, it's so good. A simple wrong would have been nice. <laughs> and yeah, because like even that, like there are moments in this movie where it's like, yeah, that was kind of a funny moment. And then Adam Sandler would just keep talking about it. And it's like, oh, that's not as funny anymore. But here, everything about it just came together perfectly. And it's it's one of the funniest movie moments, like, of the 90s, at least. It shows to me that if Adam Sandler, like, put a little more effort into his films, he could write, like, a comedy that could, like, stand for the ages, you know? Like, one that we would be like, you know, it's right up there with, like, Animal House or something. 
like where it's like that comedy changed all of comedy. And but he never does it. He never Adam Sandler has yet to make the movie where I feel like he he really tried. I'm not saying he, it's I'm not always saying he put someone n- else's is the thing. I'm not saying he put no effort into this movie, but he could have put more. Yeah, I mean that this is that's the key right there. That that one scene, which is is just incredible. Um, that that saved that moved the movie up like a whole star for me. I was gonna like it. Kind of does. It kind of does. This this is like a two and a half star, maybe three star out of five movie for me. But then that is like. If someone gave it a four out of five, yeah, I, I got you. In the final moments, um, Bradley Whitford, Adam Sandler picks, picks the category business ethics because Bradley Whitford's character is an unethical guy. Uh-huh. And when Bradley Whitford can't answer the question, he pulls a gun out <laughs> just in case things went wrong. I should mention that everyone in the audience runs except for Jim Downey, who doesn't seem to care. No, no, watch Jim Downey in that scene, that entire exchange, and he just has his hand, like, on his hips, like, Jesus Christ, like, this yeah, he's now. he's, like, annoyed with the whole situation. And also, Norm MacDonald and his buddy never leave. Like, they don't move. <laughs> of course, like, he's gonna kill Billy Madison. Billy's like, go ahead, do it. And then when he's about to do it, he, like, really almost does it. <laughs> and the principal dresses the revolting blob, comes out and tackles him. Um, but just as Bradley Whitford looks like he's gonna kill Veronica Vaughn, Steve Buscemi shoots him with a sniper rifle. <laughs> Man, I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie are insane, right? Yeah. Oh, no, there's some like... great... I also... I brushed over that they're, like, competing back and forth, where Billy somehow wins the Shakespeare part. Well, he dressed for the part. Yeah. He also wins the cooking sec- segment, because Bradley Whitford lights himself on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy just laughs at him. <laughs> at like, first i what? thought it was one of those dream sequences and i was like oh we're just gonna move on okay yeah there's a lot of moments like that <laughs> and the movie just you know after that the movie winds down billy he graduates he genuinely graduates from high school he announces that he's not going to run the company he's going to go to college and become a teacher and that's the happy ending of the movie which I, actually, Madison. I think that's a pretty good like ending for the movie is just where was that the rest of the movie yeah it's like again it feels like a first draft you know Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty good first draft if it's a first draft yeah yeah because you know first drafts are not notoriously great and they they don't have to be that's the point of a first draft yeah and if like there was a basic effort put into making this into an actual movie it could have worked and it also wouldn't have lost any of the absurdist jokes i believe like, you could have kept that and made a tighter film, you know? Yeah, like, if, if, as long as they kept that aspect of it, uh, this... I'm glad it has the legacy it does, but I think it, it could be, like, a bona fide classic. Because the 90s is that era where, like, both, like, absurdist comedy and, like, grounded comedy, like, start blending. Like, you know, everyone in the 90s was, like, too cool for school. Mm-hmm. So, that... It, it, it could have been... Like, this could genuinely be a great movie. As it is, it's kind of like a very solid comedy, but nothing to write home about. Like, it's no, like, I would say I really like the Chris Farley film Tommy Boy. And I would go so far as to say Tommy Boy is, like, actually, like, a kind of great comedy. I, I would honestly go that far. And it never gets to, like, that level. Allow me to reiterate. Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point 
in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Fantastic moment. Great moment. I'm not denying it. There are great moments in this, but it's also like it's something where you could get the gist of it from watching like YouTube clips, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like again, it's but again, as it is, I think it's very fine. And I'm not like I'm not down. At the, I I would say if we're grading on a curve, honestly, <laughs> this is like top tier Sandler. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's not not the highest, but it's up there. For the, especially for the comedies, like yeah, the, even without the comedies, or actually no, no, you have to consider the comedies because the good ones like are genuinely like I'm very happy I get to talk about some of these. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was a good one. Yeah, this this was a nice surprise free visit because again I haven't had the biggest soft spot for Adam Sandler. I like the guy. What's what's even more of a surprise is that we've talked for almost two fucking hours. We talked. Less about Duel, and I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't, like, not talk about things in Duel, which is nice, yeah. too. But, like, I don't know. I was like, oh, yeah, this will be one of the shorter episodes. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, we kind of, like, the thing, the, the idea was that we were going to do these so the Adam Sandler ones would be shorter. <laughs> and so it would be easier to do the Spielberg ones. And instead we talked about Billy Madison for two fucking hours. Well... It might not be that long in it the It probably won't be, episode, to, but. to people out there in the future, it probably isn't that long, but <laughs> I just want you to know how long we talked. Yeah. <laughs> if I get it down to half an hour, that'd be amazing, but that's don't, not going to No, don't, because we talked about a lot of good stuff, I think. I, I think so, yeah. too. I don't think we wasted time. Yeah, yeah, because everything yeah. was always kind of related. Yeah, at least um, generally. Yeah. I'll say 90%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, There's always yeah, something you can cut. Yeah, but that's Billy Madison. Yep, it's not not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Not not great, but not bad. Yeah, but that's that's the, the the Sandler perspective for this week. Next week we will be back with uh, Steven Spielberg's Sugarland Express, <laughs> which is not related to Adam Sandler at all, but uh, will also be my first viewing of the film. Yep. So all right, I'm, I'm waiting to see your response to it. I imagine um, I'm like it just breaks my love of Spielberg. I'm like, no, he's a hack now. I see. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, but I just gotta say, God damn, this is a dumb idea. Ten sixty six. That is correct. Adam Sandler. I am the smartest man alive. Spanish Armada. Fourteen sixty six. Sixty-seven. Billy Madison. Fourteen sixty nine. Fifteen fourteen. Nineteen eighty one. God. Give me the answer! Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. And you can find me at Twitter.com as well, at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. And if you're watching on YouTube, you get to see some clips I share and uh, the cool opening that I put together for, for these retrospectives because this is going to be the, the longest weird one yet, and I'm really excited to keep going with it. So this has been Happy Amblin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Agabagoo.